So uh, for Father's Day, I, I was thinking, man, th- this idea kept kind of coming around in my head this week. Uh, but the, the fairness of the Father. Uh, and, and for me, like, have you ever, like, looked at your family and, uh, you know, maybe as a kid, you can kind of go back here with me, uh, but go back to some point in your life where you looked, and if you had siblings, you know this is true. Uh, how many of y'all had siblings, like, growing up? You have, okay, we got a lot of siblings here. How many, any, any only children in here? Any only? Okay, all right. All right, so you don't know what I'm about to say. All right, so here you go. Uh, let me explain it for our one only child here. Like, if you had siblings, at some point in your life, like, you looked at your dad and you said, that's not fair, right? Like, like, he treated one of your siblings differently than how you had been treated. And instantly, your dad or your mom or whoever it was that did something, you looked at your parent and you said, that's not fair. We've all been there. We've all had that moment. Uh, for me, like, one of the earliest examples I can think of, uh, I, I remember, like, as a kid, my parents were really strict on Man, if, if a movie is, you know, PG-13, you're not seeing it till you're 13, okay? That was a big deal in our house. And I remember, like, finally being old enough to see Jurassic Park. That was awesome. Great, you know? And, that, okay, and, and so I, I remember, like, as we went on, I, I had this younger brother who was quite a bit younger. And I remember one day, like, you know, I think Die Hard came on the TV. Uh, and, you know, it's on TV, so it's kind of edited, and so I'm sitting down in the basement with my dad, and we're watching this, and my younger brother comes in, and he's maybe 10 or 11 and joins us for Die Hard. Some of you guys are like, woof, rough parenting here. I know, I, okay, so here's what happened. Like, I, I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden it occurs to me, like, I'm 17, all right? This is like, this is an R-rated movie. Like, I'm old enough to see this now. And here's my dad just letting my younger brother sit here and watch this. I, I looked at my dad and said, this isn't fair. I had to wait. I had to wait years and years and years to be able to finally watch one of these kind of movies. He's like, wow, this is different. This is different. I'm like, oh, you know, and so that's always kind of stuck with me as, uh, you know, the the fairness of uh, fathers. And even now, like with my own kids, you know, I I can see it. I'm doing some of the exact same things. In fact, you know, with Harper, our oldest, uh, you know, we were just telling her the other day, it's like, boy, we never let Maverick, or like, we never let you watch these, you know, whatever, PG movies uh, when you were Maverick's, Maverick's age. And she's all, you know, kind of upset and fired up about it. And we're, That's not fair. And you're right. Like, sometimes in life, things are not fair. And, and fairness doesn't look the way we as humans think it should look. The fairness of the father looks a lot different than the idea of fair that the world perceives. So 1 Corinthians 6, verse 1. Here's what Paul has to say. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 1. When one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers? Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? And since you're going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among yourselves? Don't you realize that we will judge angels? This is an incredible passage. We've been talking about this for the last few weeks here, about our spiritual authority as believers who have been adopted into the family. 
So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? I'm saying this to shame you. Isn't there anyone in all the church who is wise enough to decide these issues, but instead one believer sues another right in front of, other, uh, in front of unbelievers? And this is something even like our leadership here in the church, we've talked about recently, but when there's disputes in the church, uh, we're not just like a, you know, this isn't just like a community club. This isn't just like a, a nice, like, you know, uh, fun community that we're a part of, like where we do social gatherings and outings. Like, you know, we do fun stuff. We socialize. We have a lot of, you know, great community moments, but the church is not, it's not about community. It's a covenant. Like, I, I mean, I heard this explained last week, and I was like, man, yes, that is it right there. You're not just in community. You are in covenant with other believers as a part of God's family, okay? If you're just going to, like, different community centers, you can kind of pick and choose, or, or if you're just finding other community groups to be a part of, you can find some great social groups and social outings to go and do and be a part of, but that's not what this is about. In the church, we are in covenant with each other and with God. There is a covenant that takes place. And so when you are in the church, uh, it's not just this nice, social, friendly, fun gathering, but it, it means there's a certain level of accountability that takes place. There, there's a, a, what the Bible describes as an iron sharpens iron taking place. And so that's what Paul is saying here. Uh, judgment and calling out your other believers, having some of these conversations, uh, that will take place within the church. When you, we see a family member start to, to drift or, or, or maybe start to move away from Scripture, from what the truth of God's Word says, as believers in love, we go and we have a conversation. In fact, Jesus even gives us a description of what that looks like. You go one-on-one -on -one and you have this conversation. And if that doesn't fix it, then you bring in a couple other believers and you have another tough conversation. But we don't just let our brothers or our sisters drift into complacency, drift into the comforts of this world. Because we're in a covenant relationship. And so this is what real love looks like. Real love is difficult. Because real love means having tough conversations and not just trying to keep the peace, but we are working for the peace. You have to work for it. Blessed are the peacemakers. We have to work to make peace in our covenantal relationships. And so when we start to see our brothers or sisters drift, that means that we do what Paul says here. We go and we have some of these conversations. But instead, one believer sues another, another right in front of unbelievers. And, and so, you know, worse comes to worse. Let's say that we, there are some disputes among the church at some point. That could happen. Right now, we're in year one. It's still like, man, everything's great. Everything's fun. This is awesome. But at, at some point, there could be something complicated that happens uh, within the relationships of other believers in the church. And, and what was going on in Corinth was they were taking this to the public courts to be decided rather than coming to the leadership of the church first, where it could have been decided by those who God had appointed in leadership positions in the church. And so I actually, I talked with our elders last week, and I said, this is something 
where you guys need to be aware of what God's word says in every area. You need to start to learn and love the law of God's word. Because at some point, I believe that what Paul experienced in Corinth, we will experience as a church. There will be some kind of conflict. There will be some kind of difficulties that come up, some challenges. And I want our leadership to be prepared to biblically handle some of these disputes. Because that's the goal. We want to look like the church from the New Testament, from the very beginning. Because over the years, a lot of the different churches, uh, we took a slow drift, right? When you kind of look at the church overall, especially in the West, there's been a slow drift in certain areas of the Bible. And we've said, well, that's not really important. That doesn't really matter anymore. We don't need to do that. We don't have to do that. And we think we've found a better way. But there's no better way than what God's Word says. Amen. There you go. There's no better way than what God's Word says. Amen. All right. There we go. So we're going to stick to the Word. We're going to stick to what He says to us about how the church should handle these things. Even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? That's why when Jesus talks about, um, you know, if, if somebody slaps you, give them the other cheek. That's what he's saying right there. It, it's a small injustice. Just let it go. Okay? Just let it go. Let that slide because it's not worth it to fight over. Instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat even your fellow believers. That was going on within the church community. There were other believers that were coming in, and, and that was what they were doing. They were cheating and being dishonest, and that is where these issues stem from. And so that's why we need strong leadership within the church so we can handle these disputes biblically. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols, or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is a tough one. Because once again, in culture, there's been a drift when it comes to truth. In fact, there's a lot of the Western church that's begun to drift away from some of these words of Paul right here because it's in direct conflict to the messaging of the world. And there's some in the church who look at it and they're shouting from the mountaintop and they're saying, yes, that sin, this sin, this sin, we need to call this out, okay? But at the same time, we need to realize the fairness of God, like it, it doesn't look how we think it should look sometimes because there's times where we see a list of sin in the Bible where Paul, like he does this throughout a lot of his different books. Like he'll just start to list off some of these different sins, and some of us as believers in the church, we'll just kind of pinpoint just one and say, yes, we need to be against this one, okay? Homosexuality, we'll throw it out there because we know it's an obvious one. We've seen it from a lot of churches and we've seen, man, this is kind of the one like a lot of churches want to highlight and hammer on. But guess what? Go to Revelation now. Revelation 21. We'll call, we'll call out 
homosexuality all day. We'll call out murder, you know, we'll call out stealing. We'll call out all these sins and say, yes, those are wrong, those are wrong, those are wrong. Revelation 21, verse 6. And he also said, it is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. We'll call out murder in the church. We'll call out homosexuality in the church. We'll call out adultery in the church. But we won't call out the cowards. We won't call out the cowards. But how many of us have been cowardly in our faith? How many of us have been fearful time and time again? Because we let the spirit of fear speak over our lives. And, and here we go. This is for somebody right here. You've been listening more to the spirit of fear than the Holy Spirit. You have. You've been listening to the spirit of fear that is running through this world. That's what he does. He runs through this world and he speaks and he whispers into your ear. And sometimes you even confuse the spirit of fear with the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, they are not the same. Sometimes we think, oh, yes, 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 this isn't the wise thing to do. Oh, no, 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 this isn't the smart thing to do. No, 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 you're just listening to the spirit of fear. You don't want to fail. You don't want to fall on your face. You don't want to be shamed. You don't want to be mocked. You don't want to be made fun of for your faith. You're listening to the spirit of fear. Paul lumps it all together. It, it, it's all sin. And so that's why here at Revival, our very first thing, when we finally figured out, man, the, the mission, our kind of like our summary statement of who God wants us to be as a church, it, it starts with repentance. Each and every one of us in here, it starts with repentance. That brings revival. And when you step in to repentance and he brings new life into you, that's what he does. He breathes new life into us. Man, that's when you get to step into thriving. Because he wants you to live life to the full. He doesn't want you to just limp along through this world. No, no, it starts with repentance. He brings revival, and you learn how to thrive as you walk through this world. But it has to start with repentance. And some of us in here, you have not repented for your cowardice. You haven't. I, I have to do it in my own life. Like, I, there's things that I know the Holy Spirit has spoken to me, and, and I've given way to the spirit of fear because I was afraid of having that conversation. I was afraid of speaking what he had told me to speak, and I didn't do it. And that stifles the Holy Spirit. Because it, you also know this, there's been moments where you can feel the fire burning, and, and you're starting to hear him more clearly, and you're starting to understand what he's saying and what he's calling you to do. And then all of a sudden, there, there's one thing that you know he spoke, and you say, no, that's too far. And all of a sudden, that fire gets a little dimmer. And it gets a little dimmer. And the voice gets a little quieter. And before long, you just kind of go back into your life of complacency and comfort because it's uncomfortable to follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because he leads us into the wilderness at times, into taking steps that we can't really see 10, 50, 100 yards down the row. 
we can just kind of see, man, we got a little candlelight, and that's kind of all we're following, and he's just showing us the path one step at a time. That is a scary road to travel. But that's what it looks like to follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. There's paths he wants to take us on that are not traveled yet, and he's created you to take them and to take them fearlessly. He wants you to step forward into this and trust him. But the more we listen to the spirit of the fear in this world, the more cowardice rules our hearts. That word, uh, the, the Greek word is delos. And uh, it's used throughout. But uh, one of the texts uh, is when uh, Jesus and his disciples, they're, they're in the boat. They're, there's a storm going on around them. And the disciples cry out, save us, Lord, we are perishing. Jesus rebukes them thus. Why are you afraid, Delos, oh, you of little faith? Or why are you so afraid, Delos, have you no faith? 2 Timothy 1.7, I reference this verse a lot, but for God gave us a spirit not of fear, delos, but of power and love and self-control. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-control. That is the difference between the Holy Spirit and the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear is loud in this world. The more you start to try and trust the voice of the Holy Spirit, the louder the spirit of fear is going to scream and yell at you. And the spirit of fear will use people around you. The spirit of fear will use people around you to try to steal the authority that God has given you. That's another thing you can see throughout Scripture. You can see time and time again. What happens? Uh, the enemy, he loves to use other people to bring fear into our lives. He loves to use the fear of others to speak fear into our lives. And so there's gonna be moments where it might be your own mom, it might be your dad, it might be your wife, it might be your husband, it might be somebody close to you, a close friend, and they're gonna say something to you and you're gonna say, I, I trust you, I love you, I respect you, but I know the Holy Spirit has spoken this to me. This is a step I'm supposed to take. And they're going to say, no, 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 that's crazy. No, no, that's insane. That is dumb. That is foolish. Because it looks foolish sometimes to follow the way he's calling us into. It does. That's why, what did Jesus tell us? He warned us. He had that conversation with us about our own family. In fact, we saw it in Jesus' family. We talked about this last week. But when Jesus was preaching and doing ministry, his family came and they were like, okay, he's getting too crazy. We gotta get him out of here. And he's like, no, I, I'm listening to the voice of the Father. Because his voice comes before anyone else in this world. We listen to the Father's voice before we listen to our humanly father, our humanly mother, whoever in this world, his voice comes first. That's hard because there's a lot of fear that comes with that. Matthew 25. This is another verse where when I think about the, the fairness of God, it does not look like the fairness of this world. 
And so this one has been going around in my head this weekend also. Matthew 25, uh, verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on this trip. A lot of people like to say, you know, there's kind of this uh, new strand or new thread of Christianity out there. And maybe they're not that new, but lately they've gotten louder. They like to say Jesus would be uh, a socialist if he was with us today. He'd be a communist. Uh, okay, uh, I mean, right here, what, what, what's this? He gave five bags of silver to one. He gave two bags of silver to another. And he gave one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on this trip. And this isn't an economics class. This is just the fairness of God does not look like the fairness of this world. I'm just telling you that right now, okay? Sometimes we get so caught up thinking God's not fair. And he's saying, I'm teaching you something, okay? I'm my ways don't look like the world's ways. Would this be nice? Would this be pleasant? Yes, according to the world's standards, yes, this would be great if we, if we just all got treated the exact same. Man, if that was how God worked, if we all just, man, this would be a, a utopia. He distributed it by their abilities. And some of you right now, you feel like you're the one talent person. And you're like, God, God shortchanged me. He did. God didn't give me everything he gave this person over here. In fact, some of you on Father's Day, you're, you're right here in this moment because you know the dad you had, it's not fair, the dad you had. Because you didn't get the dad that they had. You didn't get the dad that that person over there had. And it's not fair. But you still have an opportunity. You still have an opportunity you can bury it and be mad the rest of your life because that's what this guy did. Let, let me tell you about this. Here's what Jesus says. The servant who received the five bags of silver, he began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver, he dug a hole in the ground and he hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he'd entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have now been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I'll give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. He had the same opportunity as the other two. And my guess is, my guess is there, there's probably a little part of him that, that, that saw, you know, he, he saw like, man, that guy was entrusted with five. That guy was entrusted with two. I've just got one. This is who I am. I'm just going to hide it. I'm going to play it safe. It's not really fair. Like he trusted those guys with more 
That, that's not right. And so, you know, I, I, I'm just going to do this for myself. I'm going to look out for myself here. But the one who had two, he became a four-talent man. And the one who had five, he became a ten-talent man. God gave them opportunities, and they took advantage of it. And so even the man with one talent, he could have been a man with two. He could have become that. He had the opportunity to become what he saw and wanted, but he chose not to. He chose to hide it and bury it because of fear. Some of you, you're, you're looking around right now and you're saying it's not fair, it's not right, and, and this just, I, I don't get it. Why did, why did God give me this life? I want that life over there. It's not fair. But God is saying, I've given you something. I've given you an opportunity. Make it into something. Make it into something more. Stop living in fear. Stop hiding it. Stop holding it back because I've given you this. Don't let fear rule you. You don't have to settle for the one talent. You can become a two, and then a two can become a four, and a four can become an eight. All it takes is obedience and faithfulness. Some of you, you're looking at this right now, and you're thinking, I could never be the 10-talent man. The 10-talent man used to be a five-talent man, okay? You're thinking, I could never become that. And God is saying, I'm giving you all the same opportunity, but you have to have faith and obedience. Step in to it. That's what the church is. There's opportunities here within the church, and you might be looking at it, and you might think, I don't like my lot. I don't, I don't like where I'm at right now. It's not fair. But God is telling you, I've given you an opportunity. Double it. Verse 26. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even with what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In that culture, like the weeping and gnashing of teeth, that description, it's, it's an amount of pain. Like you are in so much pain that you grind your teeth down to the very gums. Okay, that, that's the weeping of, and gnashing of teeth. So if you're ever like, oh, maybe hell's not so bad. It's just like a vacation for people who party, you know? It's like, no, 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 no. It's not a vacation for people who party, you know? It's the weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is not good, okay? So let's be faithful. Let's be obedient. Let's step out of fear and into faith. That is what he wants for the church because too often we've just settled for cowardice as, man, that, it's just a weakness. No, 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 it's a sin. We excuse a lot of things that the Bible calls sin and we just call it weakness, fear, Cowardice. We just say, wow, that, that, that's normal. Everybody's kind of fearful. Everybody's got anxiety. Everybody's, you know, everybody's dealing with this. And God is saying, no, no, no. Trust me. 
and step out in faith and obedience to my word and watch how I can use you in this world. Because I have plans for you. I've got plans for a hope and a future for you and for my people. But it takes faith and obedience. Matthew 5, verse 45. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. He's not fair, but he's just. He's not fair, but he is just. The fairness of the world, it, it, it will never look up or match the fairness of God. And there will always be that temptation to look at what is happening in your life and to say, God, that's not fair. That's not right. But this is the same God who makes it rain on the just and the unjust. And the sun comes up for everybody. And so I think it's important for us to remember, man, when you're going through those moments where you're, you're kind of looking at your lot in life and you're saying, this isn't fair, this isn't right. The enemy wants to get a hold of you right there. And he wants to keep whispering fear and anger into your life. And fear and anger, they're, they're brother and sister, all right? They're, they're, they're tied together. When you see those who are angry, really, it comes down to the root of fear. That's what's going on. When you see somebody that is angry all the time in this world and never happy and always mad, then fear is at the heart of it. Fear is a spirit in this world, and the voice of fear is loud. But we have authority in Jesus. You are sons and daughters of the living God. You've been adopted in to the family. And so now fear has no place here anymore. Fear has tried to build a stronghold in our lives, but faith will begin to tear it down brick by brick. And that's what he wants you to step into, faith and obedience, even in the face of those closest around you saying, no, it's crazy, it doesn't make sense, don't live that way. What the rest of the world doesn't understand is that when you live in faith and obedience, Everything else, man, God multiplies in ways that the world can't understand. He does. What he gives you, he will double if you are faithful and obedient. Stop letting fear rule you and step into every opportunity he's giving you. And that's what it is. It's an opportunity. No matter what your struggle is, no matter what you've come out of, no matter what you've faced in this world that you think isn't fair, God is saying, you're right, it, it, it's not fair, but it's an opportunity. And I have given you the chance. You don't have to settle for the one talent. You can become a two. You can become a four. But you have to step forward in obedience. Ben, you, you guys can come on up. Let's close out here. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 6. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. 
Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That cleansing that he talks about there, that, that's repentance. It, it starts right there. You repent and you turn back and you step forward in obedience to the Father. And you submit to his word over the world. That's what we do. Because we might look at some of the stuff that is listed as sin or wrong, and we might think that's not fair, that's not right. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Until you create your own world and your own universe, you don't get to set the rules. You don't get to set the laws. He set them, he made them, and he fulfilled them through Jesus. And so now we step into obedience not to be saved, but because we've been saved. We follow his word because he's a good father. That's what, on Father's Day, let, let me help you, let me help you really quick because I, I have to say this a lot, but when I give my kids rules and I give them laws in our house, it's not because I hate them, it's not because I wanna keep them from having fun, it's because I know, Maverick, if you jump down the stairs all the way from the top, you're gonna get hurt. That's a rule. Don't jump all the way from the top of the stairs to the bottom. If he breaks that rule, he will get hurt. I didn't give that rule to him because I'm a bigot. I didn't give that rule to him because I hate him, because I don't want him to have fun, because I want him to miss out on jumping down 20 stairs. I gave that rule to him because I love him. God created the world. He created order. And he gave us his word to show us this is the best way to live. You can go outside my word, but every time you go outside of my word and you disobey, there's only pain and darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth that this world can offer. That's all the world can offer you. They might make it sound good. They might, man, they might put lipstick on a pig. You ever heard that expression before? They'll make it look good. They'll make it sound good but you're still just rolling around in the pig pen and it's swine and it's dirty and it's muddy and it's gross. He gave us his word to set his people apart from the world. And now we obey out of faithfulness because we know man, he's a good father that loves us. So no matter what you've been given in this world, whether fair or unfair in your eyes, you know that you have a father who is just. And guess what? He wasn't fair. Because the cross, grace, that's not fair. Look at that. The very definition of grace, it's insane and it's crazy when you think about it to send an innocent man to die for sinners. And it's insane to think about that your sin that you deal with, whether it's cowardice or lying, and, and we're really good at excusing it, it, he looks at it no differently than he looks at the murderer or the adulterer. It's all disobedience. All have fallen short of the glory of God. But thank God for Jesus. Jesus.